today, guess what? We're getting ready to talk about sex. That's right. I said it. Sex, 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 sex. And now for a segment I like to call Vintage Sex Education. Then at puberty, certain glands begin to work and our bodies begin to change. But where are these glands? Yeah. And what's puberty? Eh, maybe not. Now look, when we talk about sex, you may get a little uncomfortable, a little fidgety in your seat. And whatever you do, don't make eye contact with the person sitting next to you while we're talking about sex. I'm just messing with you. But seriously, right now, I want us to do something that is awesome. We do this at every Thanksgiving at my house. So on the count of three, I want everybody to shout out sex. I'm totally kidding about Thanksgiving. We don't do that at all. It'd be gross. Here we go. One, two, three. Sex! See? Nobody got hurt. It's okay. And when done the way God intended, sex is a very beautiful thing. In fact, the Bible is full of verses explaining God's plan and purpose for sex. Look, there's some words out there. I know them, you know them, and then make your giggle box go off. (laughs) So let's get them out of the way. Sexuality, intercourse, procreation, virgin, virginity, second generation virginity, west virginity, adultery. Fornication. Sexy. Sexual immorality. Kissing. What kind do you like? French? Spanish? Indonesian? First base. Second base. Third base. Home run! The celebration of actions which baseball innuendos are used to describe are designed specifically for use within the confines of marriage. Passion, patience, purity, STD, HIV, LSD, KFC. Oh, wait. No, no, the last two are drugs and chicken. They don't have anything to do with sex. I don't think. Okay, are we good? Because listen, sex, it is a beautiful thing that God gave us to enjoy in this great life we have. So sit back, relax, and listen up while we talk about sex. All right, sex. All right, so we are in this series, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating, that we've been in for about three, this is the third week. And week one, we talked about love, and we talked about becoming the person you're looking for is looking for, and we talked about 1 Corinthians 13 and this list of becoming. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, and are we becoming those things? And now when you think about your future and future relationships and hopefully falling in love and and getting married one day, um, when I really hope you guys do get married... Because marriage is awesome most of the time. Um, no matter how young you are and how far away it seems, are you currently becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? And then last week we talked to the guys and, um, on how to treat a woman and how to do that. And then let me just say one quick thing about last week. One clarification in case you um, have any questions about this. My last point was take a year off dating. And for most of, or for some of you, you have a great relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And for you, that does not apply to you. I meant to say take a year off dating if one or two things. One, if your relationship that you're in with your boyfriend or girlfriend is not healthy. If you're having sex, if you're having oral sex, if you're doing any type of sexual relations with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you need to take a year off at least so that you can get your mind renewed. 
Or two, if you're looking at pornography, you need to take a year off. Okay? Um, guy or girl. If you're either one of you guys are having, um, looking at pornography, you need to take a year off dating. Okay? But some of you guys, you're, you're dating and it's healthy and you're both chasing after God as you date each other, and that's good. So you don't have to take, take a year off, but if you are not, then um, I suggest you take a year off. All right. So tonight, we'll talk about two myths as it comes to sex. They're on your handouts. Does everybody have a handout? Are we good? All right. The first myth that we're going to talk about is sex is only physical. Sex is only physical. In other words, as long as no one gets pregnant, no one gets a disease, no one gets hurt, then go out and have a good time because sex is only physical. It's just physical. It's like ping pong. Actually, it's probably more like soccer. Actually, it's probably more like football. All right? Tackle football. It's just physical. Wear your protection. Go out and have a good time. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's just fun. Go out. It's just physical. That is a lie. That is a lie <coughs> that you should not believe. As long as no one gets pregnant, no one gets hurt, go out, have a good time. It's just physical. But the truth is, and I think we all know this deep down inside, that sex is not just physical. And here's my point. If you treat sex as if it's just physical, you will hurt yourself. And eventually when you get married, you will hurt your spouse. And then it's too late. And the thing is, some of you know some married people who are dealing with the consequences of bad sexual decisions that they made when they were your age. And now they're older and they don't understand. They can't seem to connect the dots between what happened when they were younger and their troubles and their marriage that's happening now. They can't seem to connect the dots. So tonight, I want to try to help you connect some dots so that you don't have these troubles later on when you do get married. Now, there's some questions that we're going to ask. And honestly, these are questions that I don't want to ask. These are questions that I don't have the answers to. But the point of these questions are simply to show you and hopefully prove the point that sex is not just physical. There's more to it than that. So I want you to feel the weight of this as we come around the simple idea that sex is not just physical that your sexuality is actually connected to your personhood and it's connected to your soul in such a powerful way. If you treat it as if it's just physical, you will hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. So I don't want you to do that, and you don't have to do that. So here's my questions. There's two questions. I have three. I took one out. Two questions that we're going to ask that, again, I don't have the answers to. And some of these questions are going to bring back some memories for some of you that will be hard to deal with. Some of these questions are going to bring back some memories that you went through years of counseling. Maybe you're still in counseling because you're dealing with these things. Question number one is this. Why is it when children are sexually abused, why is it so difficult for them to shake it off? Did you know in America that one out of every four Kids are sexually abused. There looks like there's about 150 of you guys here in it tonight. One out of every four, so do the math, that's 25, 40, maybe-ish, 30 of you guys. At least 30 of you guys have been sexually abused according to the um, statistics 
30 or 40 of you guys have been sexually abused. I don't know if that's true, but there's a good chance that some of you guys have been sexually abused. Why does that thing, why does that follow a person throughout their entire life and it becomes very difficult for them to shake it off, for them to get through that? Why can't they just forget about it? Yeah, some dirty old man touched me when I was younger. It's just whatever. Just forget about it. Why is it so hard for them to forget about it? Why do you have to go through years of counseling for them? Why is it so much different? You see, if sexual behavior and sexuality, if it was just physical, then yeah, somebody touched me inappropriately. I'm moving on. I'm forgetting about it. Question number two is this. Why is it that rape is so much more devastating to a woman than simply being beat up? Why is it that a woman more than likely will report being physically abused, but when they are raped, they feel like they have to carry this secret with them for the rest of their lives? See, if sex was just physical, then rape is the same as being beat up. Just forget about it. Just move on. It's just like being slapped around. You report it. You get out of the relationship. You move on. You leave it behind. It's just a distant memory. But it's not that way, is it? Women who have been raped carry this for the rest of their lives. And for a lot of them, they have not told anyone about this. Whether it's a date rape, your boyfriend or girlfriend forced you to have sex. More likely, your boyfriend forced you to have sex when you didn't want to have sex. Why does that follow a person for so long, for much of their lives? See, if sex is just physical, then shake it off, move on, forget about it. But it's not that simple. The answer is simple. Because your sexuality and your sexual behavior, it's not just physical. We live in a culture that wants to make it simple, that wants to make sex simple and surface and physical, but in our hearts and our guts, eventually we come to this crashing reality that it's not just physical and to treat it as if it is just physical, we'll hurt ourselves. So here's why sex is deeper than what's physical. Because when God created sex, when he created sexuality, he created it as an expression of this little word that we don't use a lot, and the word is intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy is to know and be fully known. And when God created sex, now you realize once upon a time there, there was no sex. Once upon a time there was no sex. And at some point during creation, God created sex. He says, whoa, guys, I have a great idea. And he created sex. And he gave it to horses. And he gave it to dogs and cats and mice and rhinoceroses and bats and octopuses and, and, and clams, which is weird. He gave it to all of these animals. And it was used for procreation. It was used to create other animals, more animals. And then, and then, he created us. He created us in his image. And he said, you know what, guys? I want to take sex 
to a whole new level. It's not going to simply be about creating more humans. It's not, going to, it's not going to be simply about procreation. I'm going to create something that they're going to experience with each other that I, that I long to experience with them. And it's this thing called intimacy. The ultimate expression of intimacy. <clears throat> it's going to be like no other. It's going to be fragile. It's going to be powerful. And God says, I'm going to give it to the human race as a gift. But I hope they're careful with it. Because as powerful and as fragile as it is, it can be broken. And there's married people. There's married people that you guys know that have broke this. There are married women who are numb to the intimacy that was designed to go with sex. There are men who, because of their habits, have removed intimacy from the sexual activity, and now they're married, and they can't find the intimacy that goes with sex. And what do they do? They start asking the question, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Maybe I married the wrong person. And they both start looking outside of their marriage Say so maybe they're the right person. And off they go. And divorce happens. And the whole time it was them. Because when they were your age, they broke it. The intimacy factor. They had sex so many times that they broke it. And they lost the intimacy factor that goes with it. No one told them. <clears throat> but we want to tell you guys. So you guys can be ready for that. They believe that sex was just physical, that they can do whatever they want to with their body, and that someday they will meet someone, and magically everything will fall into place. Everything will fall into place. And they will spend the rest of, that, rest of their lives with that person. But they were wrong. They hurt themselves. They hurt their spouse. But you guys don't have to. You guys get to get it right because God created it and he created you for it, and he gave it to you, and it's fragile, and it's powerful, but you have to handle it with care in the right context. And when you do that, it is absolutely beautiful and incredible. But you cannot buy into the lie of culture, because culture tells you, you know what, sex is just physical. Just go and have a good time. Just don't get hurt. Have safe sex. That's what they teach you. Just wear a condom, guys. You're fine. Just have safe sex and go out and have a good time. And the Bible talks about this. If you have your Bibles, you can open up the second Corinthians, or I think it's First Corinthians. No, yeah, First Corinthians chapter six. The Bible talks about this. And what's amazing is two thousand years ago, someone actually said to a group of guys what I just told you guys. They told, they, they they talked to a group of people, and and this group of people that they talked to did not know it like most of us don't know it. And what's amazing is, um, it's amazing because the Apostle Paul, he says this, and, he's, and it's been in scriptures for all these years. Paul says this, and it's been in scripture for all these years. And for many of us, we've missed it. We've never heard it. And part of it was because our parents didn't know how to talk to us about sex. Like, from, if, you, if your parents did talk to you, my parents never talked to me about sex. If your parents did talk to you about sex, it was probably something like this. Don't do it. Why? 
I, I don't know. Okay, just don't do it. Just, you'll get pregnant or you'll get your girlfriend pregnant. Just don't do it. And that was your sex talk from your parents. But in scriptures, we find the answers to why this is so important and why this is so fragile. When Moses came down with the law of God, he said, here's God's law. It's supposed to be one man and one woman for life. And then Jesus came and echoed this in the extreme, the most extreme terms. He said, it's one man, it's one woman for life. And then the apostle Paul comes to the city of Corinth, a city full of um, prostitution, idols, and he says, one man, and it's one woman for life. And this is where we're going to pick up, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 18, then we're actually going to go back to 16, but we're going to start in verse 18. This is a group of people that they just didn't know. They didn't understand what sexuality was about. They didn't understand why sex was created, like most of us have been lied to for so many years. Verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. In other words, don't resist it. Don't try to menace through it. Flee from it. Run from it. And if you keep reading chapter 7, he defines what sexual immorality is. And it's this right here. It's sex outside of marriage. Sex was created for the confines of marriage. It says anything outside of that, you're sexual immoral. Sexual immorality is anything outside of marriage. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Then his next phrase is so brilliant. Listen to what comes next. He says, flee from sexual immorality. He says, every other sin, so every other category of sin, every other sin a person commits. Now stop there for a second. Now this is unbelievable because what he's about to tell us is what we discovered through those questions that we asked just a few minutes ago. He's about to tell us that from 2,000 years ago, what we know deep down inside about the subject of sex. What he's about to tell us from 2,000 years ago is sexual sin is like no other sin. Not because God hates it more, not because he would judge you more, not because it will send you to hell, not because God won't like you, not because God won't forgive you, not because God will condemn you forever. Sexual sin is like no other sin because of the death of which it injures the offender. And in many cases, the offended. From 2,000 years ago, Paul tells us, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexual sin is a whole different category. It says, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. The sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Here's what he's saying. Paul says, here's the problem. When you sin sexually, when you sin sexually, you hurt yourself. When you sin sexually, you hurt yourself. Not only do you hurt yourself, you hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. You hurt yourself at a level that in many cases, it will follow you throughout your entire life. And there's no other category of sin like sexual sin. There's no other category of sin like sexual sin when it comes to ongoing consequences in a person's life. It will follow you throughout your entire life, throughout your marriages. And he says this, because again, this is a culture that did not know. Go back to verse 16. It says, do you not know? There it is. They didn't know. 
Then he uses a word that kind of shocked his audience. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her, one body with her? That he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. Now, let me tell you that when the Corinthian readers heard this, or when they read this, when they read, do you not know that he who is joined, or some translation says, unites himself. They looked at that word join, that word unite. It's a little Greek word, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 Paul, wait. We're not joining with anyone. Like, we're just having sex. We're, there's nobody uniting. There's no one joining. Because that word that Paul used here is, it means like glue, like super glue, like intertwined, like scramble eggs, like you can't undo it. And that's what that word means. You can't be sorted out. It's permanent. And I went, when I went down to have sex with a prostitute, no, 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 I wasn't uniting with her. I wasn't joining with her. I wasn't becoming one with her. I was just having sex. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's because no one told you. No one told you. You don't understand sex. When you have sex with a person, there is a sense of permanence. You become one with that person. You become one with that person. One, I didn't even know his name. I didn't didn't even know her name. How could I become one with someone that I don't know their name? All my friends are doing it. I'm just following the culture. And Paul says, no, no, no. See, that's the thing. You don't know. No one told you. It's not just physical. It's as deep and as personal as anything imaginable. And God designed it that way. And this is in your notes. You were designed to become one with only one. You guys were designed. You were created to become one with only one. And when you continue to become one with person after person after person, you lose, you damage the intimacy factor. And there's no intimacy with your sex. And then Paul, he goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. He says, for as it is written, written, he goes back to the very first time sex is mentioned in the Bible. It says, the two, the two shall become one flesh. And there's our intimacy word. That's what sex is about. It's, it's about two individuals becoming one, a one that cannot be unwoned. When you have sex with someone, you become one with that person. It's a one that cannot be unwoned. You cannot unwon it. You can't undo it. You're saying, Tim, this is so extreme. You're making a big deal out of nothing. I don't, I, and you know, I understand that's the belief out there. And that's, and that's the way some of you guys, and I understand the pushback even with that. And I may not be able to answer all of your arguments, but here's what I bet you know deep down inside. Because I don't know who has had sex or not have sex. I don't know. If that's you, I believe deep down inside you know that sex is not just physical. That for those of you who have had sex, it's gripped your heart in a way unlike anything else that's ever happened. Because sexual sin is unlike any other sin. 
God will still forgive you. He will still renew you. But sexual sin is different than any other sin. It's not just physical. It's, a, it's as connected to your soul and your personhood as anything else imaginable. And Paul goes on, and he addresses the Christians. So if you're a Christian here tonight, this is directly to you. This is what he says in verse 19. He says, do you not know, and there it is again, because they didn't know like we don't know. Do you not know that your body, your body, Christians, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your bodies, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. No, Paul, I didn't know that. I thought my body was my body, and I did what I wanted to with my body, and God lived in heaven somewhere, and I did what I wanted to, and I come to church on Wednesday nights or on the weekends, and I asked forgiveness, and God would forgive me, but I did what I, whatever I wanted to with my body. And, he, and, he, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. No one told you. You don't understand. Your mama not sit you down. If you're a Christian, listen, if you are a Christian, you are inhabited your body is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? In other words, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Then it goes on and says, you are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body is not your body. If you are a Christian, all of you, listen, all of you belongs to God. Your body is not your body. It belongs to God because you have been bought. You have been purchased. You have been redeemed at a price. And then he concludes this way, and here's the application. Verse 20 says, so glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. Glorify God. Do you, know, do you want to know how to manage your sexuality? Your sexual behavior. Here's the standard. You glorify God with it. You ask God, God, how best as a single person, how best as a teenager can I glorify you with my body? Specifically in this context of sexuality, how best can I glorify you with my body? Now, I realize that this teaching runs up against some pretty hardcore culture beliefs. And I want to talk about a couple of those real quick. One is this. Some of you are thinking, Tim, this is good for you, but it's not for me. This is good for church people, but it's not good for me. This is good for Christians, but this is not for me because sex and sexuality, well, Tim, it's my preference. I just prefer to have sex. I just prefer to have sex. Let me throw something out there for you to think about. It's not really a preference. And here's how you can tell it's not a preference. Because the outcome and the consequences are predictable. The outcome and the consequences are predictable. If you were to have sex right now, and you continue to have sex before you get married, the outcome and the consequences are pretty predictable. I can pr predict what's going to happen in your future. The consequences and the outcome is predictable. It would be like, now for me, I like this type of art. You like that type of art. I prefer, I like this kind of food. You like that kind of food. I like this kind of music. You like that kind of mu music. That is a preference. There's no outcome. Whether you like one type of music and I like a different type of music, it doesn't matter. It's a preference. There's no different, there's no outcome for that. There's no consequences for that. It's more like nutrition. So you may prefer to eat you know, fatty foods and high sugars. There is an outcome that's going to happen with that. 
eventually. Eventually. You may prefer to eat um, fruits and veggies and lay off the red meat. There's also a predictable outcome for that. You may prefer one or the other, but the outcome is, is predictable because of design. So here's what I want you to understand. Sex is not just a matter of preference. You, you don't just prefer to have sex. It's a matter of divine design. God made it. He made it a certain way. He made it to work a certain way. And this is why the, <clears throat> there are consequences if you don't pay attention. The second myth. I hate to even say this in church. The second myth is this. Practice makes perfect. That's a lie. Practice makes perfect. Are you kidding me? Like the more sexual partners you have, the better you're going to be at sex. And like one day you'll get married. And it's like, wow, I'm so glad you practice. Like you practice. We practice so much. Like we should enter a contest because we're so good at sex. Because you practice and I practice. Like that, does, that, does that sound ridiculous to you guys? You don't want to marry someone who had a lot of practice. And they don't want to marry someone who had a lot of practice. Now, I know this sounds ridiculous, but let me tell you what some of you guys have thought. Some of you have thought, I really need to know something about this so I don't look stupid. Can I give you some 14-year married advice? Look stupid. Like, it's not that hard. It's two body parts coming together, all right? It's not that hard, guys. Look stupid. Look stupid. You'll figure it out, I promise. I promise you will figure it out. And here's the truth that nobody wants to talk about in our culture. It's in your notes. Students, romance and marriage is fueled by being exclusive, not a skill that you have to develop. Romance. We all want romance. We see it in movies. We want romance. And marriage is fueled by being exclusive, being with one person, not a skill that you have to develop. You know what being exclusive is? It's like, I have waited for you and you have waited for me. Being exclusive is I'm able to give all of me to all of you and vice versa. That fuels romance and marriage. It's not a skill set. It's not practice. It's not experience. That's just a lie. That gives you and your partner something to compare each other to. I'm telling you, on the other side of I do, that is not an advantage because romance is fueled by being exclusive. Now, I want to end it this way. A message like this runs up into some different, a lot of different places. For some of you, maybe some guilt, maybe some regret, maybe some, I wish I heard this two years ago, or I wish I heard this last week because I had sex. It runs up. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you two things. If you've already had sex, you've already made that mistake, I want you to know that God is a forgiving God. 
He still loves you. That's the only give you two things. The first is this. I want you to determine the story you want to tell one day. Here's what I know. At some point, you're going to meet someone that you want to marry, and you will all have a story to tell. And I strongly suggest that you determine now the story you want to tell later. You determine now the story you want to tell later. There's a couple of different stories you could tell. One is this. Well, when I was a teenager, I lost my virginity, and um, when I graduated, I went to college, and then sex just kind of became a part, became, became a part of my life with all my relationships. And, um, but now, I met you. I want to give whatever I have left to you because you're my one and only now. See, that's a story. That's not a very good story, but that is a story. Here's a better one. When I was in high school, you know, I kind of flew around. I had sex. I didn't know any better. My parents didn't tell me. And when one day I went to this youth group called Reverb, and this bald-headed guy was up there giving this message on sex and purity. And I didn't remember his name, but he was spoken, and I sat there, and I heard this stuff that I've never heard before. And um, as I was sitting there, something inside of me kind of welled up and it took me a little bit by surprise, and I realized that it's true that God, that's what God wants for me. And that day, I decided my story was going to be different. And in spite of my past and the guilt of my sin, that day I decided I want to learn to honor God with my body. And I signed up that day in my heart that from that day forward, from that moment forward, as difficult as it's going to be, as strange as it's going to be, as dateless as it's going to be, and as quiet and as lonely as it's going to be, I want to honor God with my body, specifically in this area of sexuality. And that day, you'll be able to say to your future spouse, you ready for this? This is a good story, I'm telling you. From that day, you'll be able to say, sit across the table to your future spouse, you will say, from that day forward, February 22nd, 2017, from that day forward, I prepared myself for you. From that day forward, I saved myself. I reserved myself, my affection, my love, my body for you. From that day forward, I dated with you in mind. I learned to practice self-control before I said I do to you, and I'm ready to practice self-control after I say that I do to you. I have been, from that moment on, preparing myself for you. I have been becoming the person I'm looking for is looking for. Now, that is a good story. That is a good story. And many of you guys have screwed up. Many of you have already had sex. You don't think this applies to you any longer, and that is so far from the truth. So if you're going to become the person you're looking for is looking for, choose a good story. Choose a story that you want to tell your future spouse now while you're still young and you can still develop the story and live it out. How? The second thing you got to do is you got to decide ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. You have to decide ahead of time what honoring God with your body looks like. You need to pre-decide. You need to set up guardrails. You know what guardrails are? We're going to do a series later on called Guardrails. 
But I was driving through the mountains. We took the, the singers on the retreat. And um, I was driving through the mountains in Colorado last weekend. And there's a couple points that we was driving. There's no guardrails in the road. I even said to Tiffany, oh, my gosh, there's no guardrail. There should be a guardrail right there. If somebody falls off that, if they lose control, they're, they're done. Like, there's no guardrail there. You need to set up guardrails in your life so that you don't, if you bump up against them, you're still safe. And we're going to talk about, one of the questions is, how far is too far? That's what we'll talk about that next week. That's, that's some of the guardrails that we need to set up. How far can you go? And I think it's the wrong question to ask, but we'll talk about Again, we'll talk about that next, next week. But when you set up things in our life, guardrails, and you need to decide. So it's kind of like budgeting. You know what a budget is? Budget is I have 200 bucks, and I'm going to pre-decide where my money goes to. I have 1,000 bucks. I'm going to pre-decide where my money I have to pay these bills, these bills, these bills. I have this much to spend on whatever I want to spend. But if there's new pair of Nikes are not in your budget, you don't buy those. You pre-decide where your money's going to go. You need to have a sexual budget. Now, you're going to pre-decide what you will do with your body. You guys need a sexual budget so you can pre-decide. And you can't do that. Listen, you can't do that when you're along with your boyfriend or girlfriend and things are getting heated. You can't decide then, you know what, I think I should set up these guardrails. Because guess what? Your mind and your body is going to do something totally different than what you want to do. So you got to pre-decide. you got to decide now, here's what I would do. Here's what I would not do. I would not be alone with my boyfriend. I would not be alone with my girlfriend with the door shut. I would only go on group dates maybe because when I'm alone, I do things. I touch her where I shouldn't touch her. you got to pre-decide what you're going to do so that you will remain sexually pure. And when you decide... To set sexual and moral standards. Every time you apply those standards, listen to me, you're investing, you are investing in your future spouse. Every single time you say no, you're saying yes. Every single time you say no, you're saying yes. Every single time you feel like you're making a sacrifice, you're making an investment in your future spouse. Because when you sin sexually, as Paul said, you sin against yourself. But when you say yes to God, when you say yes to God's moral values for you, you invest in your own future and your own relationships. Because at the end of the day, sex is not just physical. It affects us at our core. Let's pray. God, we... Thank you for tonight. We thank you that you have created sex and that it was good, that it was um, created for the confines of marriage, and that when we um, take it outside of those boundaries, God, we are sinning um, not only against you, but we are sinning against our own body. And God, I pray for the ones that um, are in this room that maybe are feeling some shame, feeling some regret that you would just um, bring forgiveness to them, that they would not feel the shame or regret anymore. God, I pray that you would just make them new, make them whole. God, I pray for good discussion in our, in our small group time.
can I pray that you would just, um, just gather conversations, bring healing tonight, and God, I pray that every student in this room can say in five or 10 or 20 years, whenever they, they have this conversation with their future spouse, that from this day forward, I save myself for you. I practice self-control for you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for your love for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.